This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. We're looking at Clostridioides difficile in today's podcast. This is an anaerobic, gram-positive, spore-forming, enterotoxin-producing bacterium. It's transmitted by the fecal or the oral route and it leads to significant tissue injury and death of intestinal cells. Now, while infection rates have decreased since 2010, domestic rates still average around half a million cases every year. Current data suggests about 10% of patients in the ED who present with diarrhea ultimately have C. diff infection, and there's a recent eight-year search of the nationwide emergency department sample that found over 900,000 ED visits with the primary diagnosis of C. diff infection. In 2014, C. diff actually replaced MRSA as the most common hospital-acquired infection in the United States. Let's start with risk factors, and we're going to focus on two different components. The first one is exposure, and the second one is increased susceptibility to C. diff infection. Exposure risks really center on contact with contaminated individuals or clinical or healthcare settings. Susceptibility is the other big risk factor. One of the key components of susceptibility is a recent exposure to an antibiotic. Antibiotics cause a couple different problems. First, they disrupt the normal gut microbiome and enable C. diff seeding in newly exposed individuals. They also allow germination of pre-existing dormant spores in patients who are carriers. Their major culprits are fluoroquinolones, beta-lactam and beta-lactamase inhibitors, third and fourth generation cephalosporins, carbapenems, and then clindamycin. Fluoroquinolones have an odds ratio between 5.5 to 16.7, and clindamycin has an odds ratio that approaches 32 for being associated with C. diff infection. One study found that fluoroquinolones accounted for over half of recent antibiotic prescriptions among newly diagnosed C. diff infection patients. While 10 days of antibiotics are classically associated with infection, an infection might even occur with a single dose. Recent use also includes those patients who have received antibiotics within three months of their C. diff infection presentation. However, we do have to keep in mind that not all patients have a history of recent antibiotic use. Up to about 40% of patients with a C. diff infection have no history of antibiotic use. There are a couple other important risk factors. The first one is going to be age over 65 years. This increases the risk of infection by about five-fold. Others would be inflammatory bowel disease, immunosuppression like HIV, recent GI surgery, tube feedings, obesity, female sex, and low serum albumin. There's also data that PPI use might increase the risk, but it's based primarily on retrospective observational data. Let's talk about the presentation. C. diff infection can cause a spectrum of manifestations. It might be a patient who is an asymptomatic carrier, or it could present as fulminant disease with toxic megacolon. Overall, abdominal pain occurs in up to 90% of patients. This is usually cramping in nature. Fever can occur in anywhere between 20 to 50% of patients. Bloody stools might be present in 5 to 20% of cases, but by far, the most common presentation is diffuse watery diarrhea. The disease is classified into several different categories. There's non-severe, severe, fulminant, and recurrent. The classification is really based on labs and patient hemodynamics. The classic presentation is the patient with the non-severe form. 
This is a patient who comes in with diffuse, watery diarrhea over three loose stools in 24 hours. These patients may also have lower abdominal pain, cramping, a low-grade fever, nausea, and anorexia. For this category, patients have to have a serum creatinine of less than 1.5 milligrams per deciliter and a white blood cell count less than 15,000. The next category is the severe form. These patients are going to have more significant abdominal pain. They're going to have a significantly elevated white blood cell count of over 15,000. They'll have an elevated creatinine of over 1.5. They're going to be hypovolemic, and they're going to have an elevated lactate. Fulminant C. diff infection is a deadly form. This occurs in about 1-3% to of cases. These patients are going to be in shock. They might need vasopressors. They're going to be systemically unwell. Up to 20% of these patients will have ileus. Toxic megacolon is one of the complications of the fulminant form. This will present with peritonitis, severe distension, and imaging is going to show a significantly dilated diameter of the large bowel. It's going to be over 6 centimeters for the colon and over 12 centimeters for the cecum. The final category is recurrent disease. This is defined by resolution of C. diff infection symptoms while on appropriate therapy, but then the patient has reappearance of symptoms within 2-8 to eight weeks after the treatment has been stopped. When we look at the evaluation, there are a couple important labs that can help us. CBC, electrolytes, lactate, and LFTs can assist us in assessing the disease severity and also looking for other complications. The IDSA guidelines recommend C. diff infection testing in patients with three or more unformed stools in a 24-hour period. But if you follow this, you're probably going to be over-testing patients. You need to use a presentation and the risk factors to determine the need for testing, especially in patients with diarrhea lasting over one week and there's no other explanation. Testing for C. diff comes down to two different components. Two seems to be a theme here with C. diff infection. The first one is detecting the organism itself. This typically includes PCR. It's highly sensitive, but it can't distinguish infection from an asymptomatic colonization. The other test that can detect the organism is a glutamate dehydrogenase enzyme immunoassay. This detects the metabolic enzyme that's found in all strains of C. diff, but it has low specificity. It also can't differentiate between toxigenic and non-toxigenic strains. The second component of testing is detecting toxin production. This uses a toxin enzyme immunoassay. The toxin enzyme immunoassay does have a rapid turnaround and can probably return while the patient's in the ED. The sensitivity ranges between 51 to 88%, and the specificity is close to 99%. Unfortunately, we don't really have clear guidelines on which test is best. The IDSA recommends using a two- or a three-step algorithm based on your individual institution and your clinical laboratory. One algorithm would be to start with a PCR. If the PCR is negative, you can rule out the disease. If the PCR is positive, then you can proceed with toxin enzyme immunoassay testing. If this is positive, then treat the patient. If it's negative, isolate the patient, but don't treat them. This patient is probably a carrier. There is one caveat to using this type of algorithm. If the patient is immunocompromised and the PCR is positive, then treatment is probably warranted. If the patient can't provide a stool specimen, then send them home and have them bring back the sample for testing. There are several scoring systems that can be used to assess the severity of C. diff infection and then help us with the initial treatment. The first one is the ATLAS scoring system. 
This includes five different parameters that are scored as zero to two points. There's points for age, treatment with systemic antibiotics, leukocytosis, albumin, and then serum creatinine. The other scoring system uses several indicators of moderate to severe C. diff infection. This would be leukocytosis, an albumin level that's low, creatinine level that's elevated, hemodynamic instability, abdominal pain or distension, and then ascites, colonic distension, or ileus on radiology studies. Honestly, all these scoring systems are trying to do is objectify what you're doing at the bedside. You need to first use patient hemodynamics and their overall appearance. If they look unwell, they have an elevated white blood cell count and elevated creatinine, then they have at minimum the severe form. If the patient is hypotensive, they need vasopressors, or there's a significantly elevated lactate, then that's fulminant colitis. Now, I haven't talked about imaging yet. There's no clear recommendations on when diagnostic imaging should be used in patients with C. diff infection. The World Society of Emergency Surgery recommends CT for patients with clinical manifestations of severe, complicated C. diff colitis. However, they don't really define what they mean by severe or complicated, which leaves a lot of room for interpretation. I do think CT has an important role in a select subset of patients. If you're concerned about another condition like appendicitis or a colonic obstruction, then you should obtain CT. CT is also helpful in that patient who has evidence of severe colitis or fulminant colitis. In C. diff infection, you might see pronounced colonic wall thickening and low attenuation mural thickening, which is due to mucosal and submucosal edema. Pericolonic stranding and ascites might also occur, but these are not specific for C. diff infection. Now, I already talked a little bit about toxic megacolon before. That's going to be that patient who's systemically unwell, and they're going to have large bowel dilation on your imaging. CT may also show small bowel dilation, air fluid levels, and then thumb printing due to submucosal edema. Next is therapy. Empiric treatment without confirmation testing is not recommended. If you have a patient and they're confirmed positive, first, stop any unnecessary antibiotics. The first-line treatment used to be metronidazole, but this is no longer the case because of increasing resistance. The first line now is fidaxomycin per the 2018 IDSA guidelines. The other option is oral vancomycin if fidaxomycin is not available. Fidaxomycin was FDA-approved in 2011 for the treatment of C. diff infection. The recommendation from the IDSA guidelines is based on two large-scale RCTs that involved over 1,100 patients. However, fidaxomycin is very expensive, and most are going to use oral vancomycin. Metronidazole is an option for the initial treatment of C. diff infection if you don't have access to oral vancomycin or fidaxomycin. Oral antibiotic regimens for a duration of about 10 days resolve symptoms in most cases, but this regimen can be extended to 14 days if symptoms are slow to improve. The fulminant disease is a completely different animal. For these patients, you want to emergently speak with your surgeon and your GI specialists. These patients are at high risk for perforation, peritonitis, and they're probably in septic shock. If antibiotics fail, then surgical treatment could include a total abdominal colectomy or a diverting loop ileostomy with colonic lavage. GI might be able to perform a fecal transplant, which can be life-saving and also spare the patient a surgery. For patients with fulminant C. diff infection, the IDSA recommends vancomycin orally as the regimen of choice. 
most experts recommend rectal administration as well as a suspension enema. This will also be the primary route if ileus is present. The oral or nasogastric dosage is 500 milligrams orally four times every day. The enema is 500 milligrams in approximately 100 milliliters normal saline per rectum every six hours as a retention enema. Metronidazole should also be given IV in doses of 500 milligrams every eight hours with the oral and rectal vancomycin. And again, I want to emphasize this, the oral and rectal vancomycin should be started in the ED for these patients. Finally, let's end with some prevention and isolation. Alcohol-based hand sanitizers are less effective than hand washing with soap and water. C. diff spores are actually resistant to alcohol solutions and have been shown in several studies to be equivalent to no hand hygiene at all. Any healthcare staff who enter the room should be wearing gowns and gloves. This can help prevent contamination of garments and skin and also prevent the spread of the disease. Make sure to disinfect any shared equipment like stethoscopes, the wristband, ID scanners, and others with bleach. Once the patient has left the room, it'll need to be disinfected with bleach wipes. Terminal cleaning can also include UV light treatment. In summary, C. diff infection is now the most common hospital-acquired infection in the U.S. Remember, there's two key components for risk factors, exposure and increased susceptibility. There are several different categories, including non-severe, severe, fulminant, and recurrent. Treatment for most forms is no longer oral metronidazole. It's going to be oral fidaxomycin or oral vancomycin. Finally is the fulminant form. These patients need IV fluid resuscitation, GI and surgery consultation, oral and rectal vancomycin, and IV metronidazole. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. 